Hey everyone, Dr. Jared Rogers here with Hallowed Truth in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm here with my good friend Kay today, who has an absolutely incredible story. Uh, for the first time when I was shooting my documentary, I actually had to take a step back and revisit what she said. So say hello. Hello. So we're going to start off and um, kind of just tell us a little bit about your upbringing a little bit, just like who you were um, as a kid and how it led into, you know, the story of addiction. Okay. Well, I was born on an army base in Fairbanks, Fairbanks, Alaska, and I'm an army brat, and I have two older sisters and my mother and father, who are both past now. Um, we moved around quite a bit when I was young, and then we ended up in Gallatin, uh, and that's where I was raised and went to school and had a very happy childhood. Um, loved riding horses and uh, just being a kid in the country. Kid in the country. And you had... Horses are so cool, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I love riding horses. Uh, my son keeps begging me to take them. But, um, so I always like to start off with that just to let people know who you were, you know, happy, you know, just adventurous, loved riding horses, country girl. Um, now let's, uh, let's, let's scroll forward. Cause this is the part that just took my breath away. Yeah. I, I was not ready. And you literally, I almost had to stop cameras because you took me by surprise. Yeah. Um, how old were you when this happened? I was 18. Okay. And, and we're all good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know it's a little nerve wracking talking about these things. Yeah. Um, but walk us through the situation and, and, and this is what led to addiction, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, I dibbled and dabbed when I was a teenager in drugs, but I, I kind of righted myself and did really good in school and, uh, was in college to be a nurse and, um, also ran this little deli that my father and one of his friends owned uh, when I wasn't at school. Um, and I was in Rivergate, and I was kidnapped and brutally raped by a man that had just gotten out of prison 30 days prior. He actually was searching for a victim when he found me. He had, two nights prior to that, he had slashed all four tires on this woman's car like at the Target. And when she came out, she was smart enough to know you never have four flat tires. And she went screaming and running back in. So they had his fingerprints from that. And um, it was just a horrible ordeal. I wore rope burns on my neck for about a year. And I was beaten uh, mentally and physically. You said rope burns? Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to ask, but... Like he uh, kept a rope around my neck. It was actually like a cable. So it was um, like hickey burns, you know? Okay. Uh, more than where he had, he would, he would tighten up my, he would cut off my air and say, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'll kill you. And I'd say, well, just kill me then. And he'd cut my air off until I kind of, you know, got to where I couldn't, you know, fight. 
and that went on and on. And um, how long did this go on? I was with him from probably eight or nine o'clock that night until daylight. So this is all in, within a twenty-four hour. Yeah. Wow. When I when he first got me, I was and he got me at knife point. I was like, "Oh God, please don't let this be happening to me." And the and the door to the it was a jeep, and the door to the jeep popped open, and I bailed. Uh, was down there right by Rippergate Mall, and he stopped the vehicle and came and he choked me till I was unconscious. So when I came to, I had no idea how long I had been unconscious, and I was hogtied and in the floorboard of the jeep. And uh, he kept saying, after it all happened, uh, he kept saying, I'm going to take you back to where I got you. I had no idea where I was. I was in a wooded area. And uh, and I was just like, just let me go. And he had my arm tied to the row bar, and I was able to get it untied. And he had gotten the Jeep stuck in the mud. And I just ran until I, I could hear the traffic in a distance. And I was in Hendersonville off of Walton Perry Road. And I just knocked on some lady's door and said, I've been hurt. Can you please let me use your phone? That's how you got away. That's how I got away. Wow. And uh, I didn't immediately go to the hospital. I went home. I was traumatized. Sure. And uh, a little while later, I went to my mom owned the Gallatin Bakery. And I went down to the bakery, and my dad just happened to be there, and they took one look at me because my eye was all messed up, and I was beat up pretty bad. And uh, they asked what happened, and I said I was raped. And, of course, they had me in the car down to the sheriff's office, and it took them a couple of days. I was able to pick his mugshot out from eight and a half years. He did eight and a half years for raping a little girl in Memphis and got out on good behavior and was out 30 days when he raped me. And um, he re got a, rehabilitation fails. Yeah, in in sexual assault. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, yeah. I've seen some, I've seen some great rehabilitation stories for addiction, um, but the actual offenders of sexual assault, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if there is a true rehabilitation for that. Yeah, I don't believe there is. Um, course this was in the 80s they didn't know as much as they know now sure and they don't respond to victims the way they do now you know now they they get you in counseling and all of that you know it was just like hush you know hush this up like it never happened you know um so it was a small town back then yeah it's kind of still small but it's it growing is. It's it growing. is um 18 years old, you have nowhere to go, really, because there is no therapeutic, you know, counselors out there to help you with this. Right. Where, where are you psychologically on this at this point? Uh, I am. Back then, of course. Yeah. I, I was broken. Um, I was searching for something that would allow me not to hurt. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the doctor gave me Valium. And I would just cry and think about what happened to me. And I would drink and I would just cry and think about what happened to me. And uh, I had, in my deli, there were people that did harder drugs. And about three months after the rape, I asked one of them to turn me on to it. And uh, that was delauded. And uh, 
and for the time that I was high, I didn't cry. I didn't think about what happened to me. I was just numb, and that's where I wanted to be. Sure. And uh, a year later, you know, I wanted to quit, and I realized I couldn't, that I had a habit. So I was just having a conversation with someone about 10 minutes before you came, and it's addiction's not always a choice up front. I mean, for your situation, this is one of those rare situations where, like you said, when we were filming the documentary, I was just looking for something to numb the pain. Yeah. You know, and that's what it was. And for the most part, the addiction did that for you. Yeah. And then when did it become less of it's numbing your pain and you noticed it was an addiction at that point? Well, I was... I mean, it became pretty obvious pretty quick because back then that particular drug was really expensive. So, um, you know, I was writing bad checks and my mom was going down to the clerk's office and paying them off to try to keep me out. of. You know, everybody literally loved me to death, you know. You're um, an easy person to love. I'm going to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it just snowballed. It just snowballed really fast, gotcha. you know, and, you know, I started in criminal behavior, stealing, and of course, you know, as, as much as I hate to admit it, you know, I stowed from my family and um, really broke the trust that they all had, um, but they were all... They all knew that I was hurting, and they just didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. You know. And at that point, you probably didn't know what to do with yourself. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. That's, that's the... And the addiction part. snowballed to where the rape wasn't the issue that I was broken about anymore. I was broken because of the addiction. Yeah. You know, it was buried under layers of other stuff that happens when we become addicted. Um. I got involved in prostitution and stealing. You know, I moved to Nashville. Um, I did want to say that the guy that raped me did get 30 years in prison. Oh, excellent. So um, I took a plea bargain so I wouldn't have to testify because I, I was already kind of a mess. I mean, nobody knew at that time that I was using because I was still hiding it pretty good. But there was no way I could have gotten on that stand and testified. I understand that. Yeah. So we plea bargained, and he got a 30-year sentence, of which he did 20, I can't remember the exact number, 20-something years of it. Do you, do you know where he's at now? He is in... He's still, I started, he's he's still alive. This, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, he's still alive. Um. He was 30 years old at the time he raped me. Okay. So whatever age that makes him now, he's an old guy. Um, but he's in Oregon or somewhere like that. Um, he's on still on the sex registry, so it shows where he's at. I hadn't looked it up in a while, but I did look it up at one point. But you remember his name easily. Yeah. I'd, I'd be very interested to... I'd be very interested. I have a friend that is in the law business uh -huh. and every now and then we we look up friends of ours that were in high school uh -huh. so so i'd be very interested to send her his name okay and and, and see where he's at yeah you know, if that's okay with you sure yeah so and um 
So, um, at this point, how old are you when, when he goes back to prison? Well, I was still 18. Oh, this all happened yeah. within the year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we went to court. So they got him pretty quick. Yeah. They got him two days after the assault. Was it, Were there any more victims at that point? Not that I know of. I gotcha. Um, just the, the situation about the target lady, but he didn't. She was smart enough to escape his attack, so. Because he pulls up and says, can I help? And she gets spooked and runs back in. So luckily she did not fall victim to to his trick. Very similar tactics today. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, uh, I get these little updates from the police department. Uh-huh. And my wife does as well. And it's like somebody's putting zip ties on something or opens your gas tank or just anything like that. When you get out, they they grab her, you know. And yeah. I've got a little two-year-old daughter. Yeah, you know, I've got I've got four boys. I'm I, I'm concerned about them as well, but I'm less concerned about them than I am my daughter. Right. You know, and so, and it scares me every day. And and you literally live through one of my biggest fears for for my for my child, and uh, even my wife. I mean, sure. there's no age limit on it these days. No, there's not. And uh, you know, unfortunately, even sex trafficking is becoming such. It's almost like just a corporation that's part of our society now, and it's right. really sad. But um, well, I um, when I got clean this time, I was in the Cherished Hearts Court program, which is the Human Trafficking Court. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so I went through that court program and graduated. How do, how does that work? Like when you say the program, what do they do for you? Um, it's it's like your typical recovery court. You go to court every week. Um, you have a probation officer you go to mental health you have drug testing um you have to go to a certain amount of meetings a week and get your meeting sheet signed mm, okay yeah okay so it's like a it's part of the specialty courts in davison county cherished hearts is i got gotcha. you mm-hmm. okay and then um because you went to recovery court here as well correct or no, no just just the cherished hearts because you know, you know, Judge Robinson was. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He actually temporarily was the judge for Cherished Hearts, and so you saw him there. Yeah. What yeah. a cool guy! Yeah. Yeah, he's super cool. He came on the documentary. Did you know? Yeah, that? I saw that. All right, I so watched it. He was, um, he was, you know, I think he thought we were going to talk about something else. And when I told him it was about addiction, he's like, it was almost like a relief. Yeah. You know, because those judges, they get hit by media all the time. He's got a great story. And he shared it. Yeah. And he shared it. It was it was really cool. In fact, you know what? I'm glad you said I'm actually going to call him and see if he'll do this as well. Okay. Yeah, he's he's really cool. And he speaks really highly of the people that come into his court. Yeah. And I think that's why people feel comfortable with him. Oh, yeah. So uh, I know Lynn was like, oh, that's our judge. Yeah. (laughs) We love him. (laughs) He's our people. He's our people. Yeah. and he's been there. That's what's that's what's key. Yeah. So I I have to ask because you got undelotted. Uh-huh. And when did it go from that to something else or was that just it? Well, I um um for those people that don't know, Delotta is a, a strong narcotic painkiller. It's synthetic heroin is basically what it is. Well, I didn't uh, know that. It uh I landed in jail in Sumner County and kicked cold turkey, and there was a little old lady in there named Hattie Ann Hickey. I hope she doesn't mind me shouting out to her. But she nursed me. 
How can you not say that name? <laughs> Hattie Ann Hickey. Hattie Ann Hickey. <laughs> but she nursed me through my withdrawals. And she was the I, nurse in there. She wasn't. No, a, she was an inmate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. She just helped me get through it. She probably knew more than the nurse did. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? They didn't really have nurses. They had a doctor that came in once a week and Yeah. Yeah. That's not enough. Yeah. And um when I went through that which was horrible, um, kicking cold turkey like that with no kind of medicine or anything to help um i said i'll never be hooked on that again uh but then became the love of cocaine mm. and, and uh, you were still were you still struggling psychologically at this point oh yeah but i wouldn't i was you know not consciously i got you you know i was broken inside but i wasn't consciously struggling with the rape anymore unaware um, I was angry, you know, I was angry at everyone, judges, attorneys, anybody that was responsible for letting that man out. You know, I had had great anger towards him. And, uh, um, but I, I ended up getting on cocaine and I battled with cocaine off and on my whole, the whole rest of my life until I got clean almost six years ago. I'll have six years this year. Congratulations. Thank That's you. That's huge. That's awesome. And uh, at some point, cocaine turned into crack. And once I got on crack, um, it was a sure enough downward spiral. I mean, cocaine was enough by itself, but when I got on crack, it just anything would go. Um, You know, and I I got arrested. I've probably been arrested over 200 times. I've been to prison three times. Like longer stints? Yeah. Well, I went to the penitentiary, and I did a lot of time in jail, in the county jail. Um, what was your longest stay? Um, almost two years. Okay. The last time I was in prison. Because I couldn't do paper. They would let me out on parole. And I would just abscound, <laughs> just disappear in a cocaine haze and not report and not do anything I was required to do. And then they would send me back and then they gave me parole again. And then I messed it up and they sent me back. And um, the last time they told me to complete my sentence. And so it was a year and a half, two years, something like that. How old were you at this point? <laughs> I was in my 20s. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really deal with the rape until probably 98. Um, I went through a program. Um, called the Women's Center, and it was run by a doctor named Dr. Linda Hazel, who is a phenomenal therapist and and um it was a two-year program um and it was outpatient um and i lived in a halfway house for the first four months or so then i got my own place with a friend um she and i we're both in the program and we moved out of the halfway house and got a little duplex 
and just started rebuilding my life. <clears throat> and after that program, I didn't do cocaine again for 16 years. Um, I stayed clean for a couple of years, but then I um, was still drinking a little bit and smoking a little weed, popping a Xanax here and there. You know, so I wasn't totally clean. But to me, <clears throat> I thought, if I just don't get arrested, if I can just live a clean life and not go back to jail, I'm successful. And I did become very successful. I worked in the hotel industry as a regional director of sales oh. and uh, made really good money, bought a house, bought a Harley, you know, bought all the stuff that I wanted. I told you you reminded me of my family. <laughs> And um, did really well, but then life happened, as it always does. <clears throat> and because I had that door open to weed and, and alcohol, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you don't really have a leg to stand on. Sure. You know, and I went on an eight-day binge that ended up with me getting a DUI and going to jail. Um, but I ended up smoking crack, and that opened the door back to crack. In that drunken state, I ran across somebody, and I smoked crack. And then I was so ashamed of myself that I had, you know, 16 years worth of, of doing exceptionally well um, to going back to, you know, smoking crack and, and being arrested. And it was really hard for me to um, get back on track, and I didn't. And, uh, you know, I had a 14-year-old son when I relapsed. And by the time he was 15, I was leaving him at home by myself, and I was out, you know, in the streets. And, you know, I had tons of guilt about that. Yeah. Where's, your, where's your family today? Um, well, my mom and dad are passed now. Um, How was y'all's relationship before they passed? Great. Um, my mom actually, for the last year of her life, I spent a couple nights a week with her. We, I have two older sisters, as I said before, and we took turns spending the night with her and helping care for her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, until she passed and, uh, my dad had passed five years prior. Um, you guys were good as well. We were, um, I was, um, we were good, but I was, that's when I was starting to spiral mm -hmm. and he would say, Kay, are you doing drugs again? And I said, daddy, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I couldn't, couldn't tell him, you know, I was doing drugs again. Yeah. And, uh, but I think he knew. You know, but I think he'd be really proud of me now, you know. I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you're doing some really cool things now. Yeah. We're going to get into that because, you, you know. And so I have, I had three kids. Oh. Um, I have a 22-year-old son, and I have a 36-year-old daughter, and I, and I lost my middle child to an overdose uh, when I was six months clean, when I was living at RCI. And uh, she was 24 years old, and she overdosed on heroin. And uh, it just about killed me, you know. 
I, um, by the grace of God, didn't use. I was, I was going to ask, but I think I've known you uh, for a couple of years now, so I, I knew part of that. But where, um, she was here in Nashville, right? She was. She, um, I actually gave her up for adoption. Mm-hmm. I had a, I was in, I actually had her when I was in jail. And my mother and father were already raising my oldest daughter and couldn't take on another child um, or wasn't willing to. Right. And I found a family, a Christian family, that was going to keep her until I got myself together. And I just couldn't get myself together. So when she was two, I agreed to terminate my rights so that they could adopt her. So they actually raised her. So I didn't see her from the time she was two until she found me at 17. She looked for you? Yeah. So they never lied to her about it? No. I got you. What was that like when she found you? It was crazy. I still have a picture of the day we met. And we looked so much alike. I bet. And and act alike. And um, it was wonderful. And she ended up, when she was 18, she moved in with me and... And uh, so she was looking for that. She was looking for you. She want she wanted to, you know, obviously find her mom. And that's yeah. cool that they didn't lie to her about that. Yeah, they didn't care much for me. They had some pretty choice words to say, you know. Sure. But um, you know, I guess I understand their anger. You know, that's a lot to to raise someone else's child and then have that child kind of leave them and come back to me, you know, after all those years. So I think they were pretty hurt, but um, we just all tried to get through it the best we could. And, you know, she knew that everybody loved her. Mm-hmm. Um, she called me mama, but she didn't want her adoptive mom to know that. Sure. No, you I know. understand that. Yeah. What, um, when did you find out she had an addiction? Well, she was, that was part of the reason why I asked her to come and live with me when she was 18, because she was 17, and she was messing with some 40-year-old man who was feeding her cocaine. And you you were sober at this point? I was. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, well, I was drinking. You know, I wasn't in the program sober. I was drinking and... Um, but I was still working and maintaining my life, you know. And you were not on drugs, though. And I was not on drugs. So I had to, I felt the strong need to get her away from that man, you know. Sure. And, and did you ever get her away from him? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So when it, her addiction took off pretty yeah, pretty quick then. Yeah. It didn't last long, did it? Mm-mm. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Very sorry. Where were you when you got the news? I was actually on the city bus going down to take a drug screen for Cherished Hearts. And my older daughter called me crying and told me. Were they all close? They were. They lived together for a little while, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I know know being at RCI, you're surrounded by such great people. Oh, yeah. And uh, Yeah, I stayed connected. Yeah. For sure. And then... And just knowing what I know about Lynn, she's not the type to just, if you say, no, I just want to be alone, she's not the type just to say, okay, I'm going to leave you alone. 
You know, right. she, she's like, I know what you need. Yell at me, scream at me, punch me. I'm going to be right here. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love about Lynn at RCI. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she knows what you need and, and you knew, you knew, you know, you stepped up for your daughter and I'm sorry it ended the way it did, but you did step up. Yeah. So, you know, and where's your, what about your, uh, now you have a 22 year old son. son. Uh-huh. Where's he at? He's here in Nashville. You see him often? I do. Awesome. What, where is he? What does he do? Um, well, he, um, is not doing anything at the moment. Um, but I'm praying for him. Okay. Yeah. Is there a battle there as well or? No. Well, I'd rather not say. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. And what about your oldest daughter? She's good. She, um. She was raised by your parents. She was. Okay. Um, she was. 12 when I kind of got my life back together and we were able to build a relationship um, at her pace. <laughs> sure. But she had a lot of anger, you know, and she uh, made me pay for it, you know, <laughs> all my mistakes. Uh, she was going to those teen years, you know. But um, she has two daughters. So I actually have three granddaughters. My 22-year-old son has an eight-month-old baby. Oh, okay. So I have three granddaughters. All girls. And all girls, and I love them all. <laughs> and, and do you get to see them often? I do. That's I awesome. Do. Not yeah. not as much as I would like, but as often as I can. I understand. But they're all here. Uh, my daughter's in Bethpage. Where's that? The other side of Gallatin. I've never even heard of that. It's in the country. Okay. But it's drivable. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That's excellent. That's excellent. So today you're working at RCI. I am. And what do you do there? I'm the housing director, and I fill the beds, do all the screening, the apps, and I do a lot of other administrative stuff, and then I also run the apartments. We have 26 apartments. That's new, isn't it? Or newer? Newer. The apartments, yeah. We have 16 that we own, and uh, we have 10 that we sublet at another uh, place. Um, so we have a total of 26. So I do the leases, collect the rent, answer the maintenance calls, and, you know. So if there's an issue, they call K. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And where, today, how is everything affecting you from your traumatic experience? Well, as I was telling you, I was in that program with Dr. Hazel, mm-hmm. and I really got the therapy that I needed in order to deal with that. And finally, um, forgiving that person for hurting me not for him but for me sure you know and letting go of that you know forgiveness is so powerful it really is at any point did you have to forgive yourself for anything yeah because um i did because you always blame yourself i knew better i shouldn't have stopped i shouldn't have you know this i shouldn't have that you know i should have this um but you know, you you have to forgive. You don't forget, you know, what happened to you, but um, you move forward. Yeah, I get that. Because I remember, like I said, when I was, I, was, I was there, I had the camera set up. I thought I was coming in to talk about a story of addiction. And uh-huh. it, it was kind of like a last-minute thing that you jumped on camera. Yeah. Because I came to interview Lynn. Uh-huh. And then like, hey, Kay said she'd jump. I was like, 
I'm here. Let's do this, you know? Yeah. And you got on and you said, well, I th- I th- I, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you're like, uh, you didn't really start off as an addiction. I was looking for something. To, and then you told me a story. I'm sitting here. I was like, I look at my wife. I'm like, I may need to stop the camera. She just, she, sh- you're the only person that's ever shocked me. Yeah. You know, I so. saw your wife kind of flinch and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so. I know it shocked her. She'll kill me for saying this. Um, I've been begging her to come on the podcast because she has a story uh-huh. like that. And I try to explain sharing these stories. It's not just about getting it off of you. It's about sharing it to where somebody out there understands they're not alone. Right. And it's how I, it's how I believe I can save lives. Yeah. You know, because I can't go knock on doors and I can't. I mean, I guess I could, but what door do I knock on, you know? Right. And this is this is how I I believe I'm supposed to help save lives and it's going to take a while to build it but it's totally worth it. Yeah. You know, so she has a great story and you know, I may have her reach out to you one day. Sure. Because um you know, you've been there so it, it's not as extreme of course, uh thankfully, but you know, it's it's still tough no yeah. matter how you break it down, so it's extreme if it happened to you. It is. You know. It is. And, and, and you know, as someone, I was speaking with somebody today, and um, he admitted, he goes, I was one of those until I started listening to your podcast. I was one of those that said, oh, addiction is a choice. It's this, it's that. And then he goes, then you explained it. And, and he actually said it word for word what I said uh-huh. on one of my previous episodes. And he said, I never looked at it that way. And now I'm. I understand it's not always a choice. Right. You know, and, and, and that's the thing is, you know, some of the best people I've met in the last three years have suffered from addiction. Yeah. You know, yourself is, you're one of them. Yeah. You know, I absolutely love you. I think you're awesome. Oh, thank you. You know, so when you said you'd come on here and do this, I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so I, I have to ask you, um, you, you were talking about, um, when you're when you're in an active addiction, you're on the streets. Are you tell? Do you tell yourself this is what you deserve? Mm, not necessarily. Um, when I was on the street and I was involved in prostitution and drugs and the whole shebang, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would steal from people and I would say that's what they deserve for being out there and messing with me and you know anything to deflect my behavior you know was was that um I don't think I ever consciously thought this is what I deserve but I think you know that staying into that way of life for so long was you know I mean, you morally corrupt. Yeah. You know, and your soul just kind of dies a little bit every day. And uh, so I think you subconsciously think, you know, this is what I deserve. And there were situations, I'm sure, that were physical, abusive, and, you know, did nothing like before, of course. Right. But, I mean, things where you had to, like, get out really quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's scary. Yeah, it is. That's scary. I uh, 
I like to think I was pretty mean, and I was really fortunate that I didn't get hurt a lot out there, but I did mm-hmm. get hurt some. Yeah. And uh, I carried a pistol, and, you know, people on the street knew that, so I didn't have a lot of consequences from from the people in the in the street but there are consequences you can't escape that life without being hurt some and i was you know i've been pistol whipped and dove out a window while they were shooting at me and had to jump out of cars while they were rolling and you know just madness Every time we dig deeper into your story, <laughs> and there's there's something that reminds me of like an action film, you know. And uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, you remind me of my mom. Oh yeah. You know the dark features, and I mean you look like we could be family. Yeah. And and then my grandmother, you look like my grandmother when she was younger. Uh-huh. And she was in prison for over thirty years uh, for armed robbery, drugs. She says she shot a few people. And they compared her to Bonnie Parker from Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, wow. And she said that she, she took the moral high ground and only robbed places that had, like, you know, that were insured. I don't know how she knew who was insured, but yeah. I think that was her way of justifying what she did. Yeah. But, um, well, we all have ways to justify. <laughs> justification just comes to those who want it, I guess. That's right. right. So <laughs> I think you have to, to live with yourself. You know, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. Actually, that's uh, those are those are great words. So, OK, so here's what I'm, I love. Here's this is my favorite part of the podcast. OK, today you get to spend every day helping those who are addicted, fight their obstacles and overcome them. Yeah. You know, so and you make great friendships. I see I see your posts on, uh, you know, the posts on Facebook and you're mm-hmm. back there you're smiling. And you guys are really like a tight knit community, you know. What's one of your biggest achievements knowing what you do today? How do you, how do, like every day you wake up, what puts that smile on your face? Because you smile a lot. I think, um, I think my biggest achievement is just in helping people is just remembering what it's like to be 30 days clean. You know, because a lot of, you know, people that live with us at RCI, you know, or the majority of them are six months or less. And, you know, I just try to reach my compassion by remembering what it's like to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and not be judgmental of where they're at, you know, because when you get clean, it doesn't mean you get good overnight. Right. You know, you have all kinds of, there's all kinds of behavior issues. There's, Feelings you don't know how to deal with, um, a new life that's scary and you have no idea what it holds for you, you know. I went through all of that, you know. When I got to RCI, I, I didn't know. Here I'd had this big career and I'd had a home and all the stuff. And I didn't know that I'd ever have that again. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely didn't think I would have a career. My first job was working at Steak and Shake and I hated it. I hated it, and I would, and I, it was so humbling, you know. And I'd just be like, I can't believe I'm down here slicing tomatoes for a living, you know. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, I was asked to work at RCI, and I was thrilled about that. And now, in December, will be five years that I've been there, and I've learned so much, not only about 
this disease, but about myself, you know, and it's from being around great people like Lynn and Emily and Brittany and Cody and Marcus, you know, um, you know, we're a great team and, and Aaron, um, you know, our guy in Gallatin. I don't think I met him. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, uh, am so grateful to, you know, to have that team to, you know, be a sounding board and to model myself after, you know, Lynn's a great person to model yourself after, you know, her compassion goes beyond anything anybody would ever know. I'm pretty sure she smiled 98% of our interview. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I've never met anybody who smiles more than Linda. <laughs> but she was, she was great. I mean, just the little time that I've known her, she's impacted me already. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, she, she really is just an angel on earth. Yeah. You know, she is. As are you. I mean, I really believe that. Thank you. Know? you. So, um, and I have to ask this because, um, I asked Marcus this one time. Okay. And his answer was pretty incredible. Um, what style, how do you know you're not going to use today? What makes you not use? Well, a lot of stuff. Um, you know, the couple of nights ago, I had a using dream, and I woke up, and I was just like, Phew, thank God, it was just a dream, you know. Do you, in your dreams, is it is it pretty vivid to where you feel Oh, yeah. It? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know about feeling it, but you you – when you wake up, for me, I feel so grateful that it was just a dream and that, I, that I'm not actually living that nightmare again, you know. So, um, you know, I, they say don't ever say you'll never use again. Mm -hmm. um, it's all about today. And today I choose not to use. And I do that by surrounding myself around a network of people who are clean and in recovery and who are living a new way of life. And, um, you know, I read literature. Um, and I just stay connected to the people in recovery. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so it's, it is. It's an environmental factor. It is for me. That's awesome. You know. Because I believe, I believe Marcus says, I can't tell you I won't use tomorrow, but I can tell you I'm good today. Yeah. Is what he says. And, and, and he said that uh, he has the tools now that he right. didn't have before to handle it. And uh, Marcus is one of my good friends. I love that guy. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a Giants fan, but we don't hold that against him. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, but, yeah, so what's your, what's, what's your plan? How do, you, how do you plan on just keep moving forward, just keep? doing what you're doing and just keep doing what i'm doing every day every day yeah and it's a good day and it's a good day yeah all right well i want to thank you for coming on here your story was absolutely incredible to me and i got to learn so much more about it today yeah which just um you know once once we hang this up i'm gonna tell you my my grandma's story okay and you're gonna be like oh my god we yeah you showed me her picture <laughs> did i how much yeah Oh my goodness! Now, are are you Native American? No, I'm not. Well, I mean, I have it in my blood. Yeah, but, but you're not. It's not a primary. No, it's not primary. Okay, because um, she was, I want to say, almost full blooded. Uh huh. Or something. I'd have to, I'd have to call my mom and ask her. But right. um, it's incredible how much you remind me of her. Yeah. You know, so and uh, her younger years, of course, you know, because she, uh, she was a chain smoker and she ended up dying of emphysema. Mm. And. Uh, and uh, 
f- funny thing real fast. She walked in. She was not a religious person. And so she was, they, they rolled her into her, um, um, hospice room. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, it's, it's her time. She's leaving. Right. Yeah. She rolled her <laughs> and this lady's in there and it's her roommate. And she goes, Oh, Joyce, they told me you were coming. I've been praying about you and, <laughs> and all this stuff and just totally went Bible belt on her uh-huh. and excuse my language. But, um, I guess my mom's bro, my uncle was pushing her in and my grandma turned around, looked at my uncle and said, get me the fuck out of here right now. <laughs> and so, you know, that was her personality in a nutshell. But, yeah. Um, but now that I know that you've pretty much had an action packed movie, something you see on cinema, yeah. you know, jumping out of cars and <laughs> windows. That's, that's, that's insane. Cause you're such a, a, you're such a hugger and you're such a kind person. I would have never ever done that. Everybody has a story. Yeah. Everybody has a story. And I truly do appreciate you coming on here and sharing. Thank you. Yes. And I know that you and I'll talk many more times. Absolutely. So, anyway, if uh, anybody ever needs to, you know, reach out to somebody, uh, it's RCI. You yeah. Know, recoverycommunity.org. That's it. Recoverycommunity.org. And um, I'll tell you from the people I've met there, they are always a phone call away and there's always a door open there. So, but thank you again. And I will hopefully get you back on here soon. Okay.